welcome to this week's edition of the Media Boat Podcast. Today is September the 29th, 2021. It's episode 299 of this wonderful podcast, and you know what that means. Next week, we will be celebrating 300 episodes, believe it or not, of the Media Boat Podcast. If you don't know what the Media Boat Podcast is, somehow you've missed episodes 1 through 298. Let me tell you about it. We are a podcast that's dedicated to bringing you news and thoughts about media, including movies, television, video games, and music, not necessarily in that order. My name is Matt. His name is Mike. I'm Mike. He's Matt. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, bittersweet. Um, This does mean that it is the end of the (laughs) 200 count, so (laughs) the finale of the 200s. If you're a fan of the numbers 201 and 298, well, sorry. If one of those was your favorite number, <laughs> we must have passed it, unless it's 299, in which case, why don't you round up to 300? I mean, mine was 22, and we did that years ago, so I don't know. Oh, yeah, mine was 14, and I was glad we even made it to 14. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm shocked we've made it to 300 next week, so uh, we'll try to do, uh, yeah, I was trying to talk to you about this pre-pod, but I guess we changed the subject, but what I was trying to get at is that what we're... We'll, Hopefully, we will tr- tr- figure out a way to do an in-person show for y'all next week, wherever that may be. We'll see. And whatever day that ends up being, hey, we'll see. But we'll try to get something to do uh, do in-person one for you next week. But uh, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. We'll maybe punt that to a later date. But hey, we'll figure something out. Regardless, episode 300 will be special in some way. We'll figure something out for y'all. But in the we meantime... Special guests drop in. Possibly. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. Maybe. Uh, but in the meantime, let's finish off 299 in style uh, by doing what we usually do. And that's starting with the movie section. And we only start the movie section with the weekend box office numbers. This week was no different than the last few weeks. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings is still your number one movie. It made another $13 million. It's sitting at 196 domestic it will easily make that 200 next week just you wait hail to the king <laughs> super marvel reference right there if you didn't get it well well um nope. question mark is it even will i mean it is four million tracks. it will it It'll do it. hit that throughout the week yeah but we do have some heavy hitters coming in because yes. it is the start of october we will get there we'll get there but first the rest of your top five Coming in, number two, your debut, Dear Evan Hansen, with a $7.4 million debut. Followed by number three, Free Guy, another $4.1 million. That's at 114 domestic. Number four, Candyman, with $2.5 million this week, adding to a $56 million total. And five, Cry Macho, with another $2 million. That's sitting at 8.2 total domestic. And as you mentioned, this week, heavy hitter new releases and a bunch of them. To boot, starting with The Many Saints of Newark, which is also a streaming release. Yep, that is the HBO Max release. It is the prequel to The Sopranos. Yes. Famous, great, serialized TV show of the early 2000s. Yes. So that. We also have. Started the prestige television of HBO. Yeah, some wouldn't say that. That's more or less correct. We also have for the families, The Addams Family 2, which of course is the sequel to the animated Addams Family film. This is also animated. Yes. 
uh, this then, is going to be a road trip film from yes. trailers. And if one spooky family animated movie wasn't enough for you, there's another one this week, Hotel Transylvania Transformania, the fourth in the Hotel Transylvania series, also comes out this week. But you can also see this on uh, streaming via Amazon Prime Video. <laughs> I'm not sure if this will actually get a theatrical release because it was supposed to by Sony, but then Amazon mm. bought it for $100 million last month, which we talked about. Yeah. So may or may not actually be a theatrical release, but you can see it starting October 1st on Amazon Prime. I also imagine doing that to coincide with the Adams Family film. It's kind of a dick move. (laughs) (laughs) If if I was the other studio putting that movie out, I'd be really upset if the same week a very similar vibe to movie came out. Hey, but I don't work in that business. But of course, your big release this week, well, I'm going to call it your big release this week, even though Many Saints of Newark is probably also a big release in a lot of people's hearts. I'm going to say it's Venom, Let There Be Carnage, the second Venom film from the Sony Venom slash Spider-Verse. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, probably why they got, they were able to get trans Hotel Transylvania to streaming, so they didn't yeah. eat each other at the box office. <laughs> yes. Venom does tend to absorb its prey. Yes. Um, so yeah, uh, that's probably your bigger release. I would not be surprised if that's your number one next week, finally dethroning Shang-Chi. Uh, but that's just me guessing here. What? I think it'll easily do better than thirteen. You're million. saying Venom's not going to do better than at least ten million dollars? I think it will do at least ten million dollars. Is what I'm saying. If not, maybe six times that. We'll see how it does. Uh, but yeah, do you want to play box office guess here? No, I don't think we've retired that game for the COVID era. <laughs> yes, yes, we have. All right, so that's your new releases. You'll have to wait until next week for uh, No Time to Die, your Bond film. So hold on well, one more week next for that. Week, the following week, 10 8. Even though it is getting international releases starting like two weeks ago. I was going to say, no, that's definitely next week. Yeah, 10 8. Yeah, that's definitely next Friday. Yeah, we'll talk about it next Friday. I guess one. Whatever. Anyway, <laughs> semantics. All right, so that's it for new releases. So let's move into movie news and we start this week by talking continuing to talk about the marvel superheroes but this time marvel studios proper and some litigation they've got involved with some of these characters so here's the story marvel is suing to hold on to full control of avengers characters from the heirs of creators stan lee steve ditko and gene colin The lawsuit seeks declaratory relief that Marvel characters are ineligible for copyright termination as works made for hire. If Marvel loses the suit, Disney would have to share ownership of characters that are, of course, worth billions. Last month, the administrator of Ditko's estate filed a notice of termination on Spider-Man, which first appeared in comic book form back in 1962. Under the termination on Spider-Man, which... uh, Under the termination provisions of copyright law, authors or their heirs, this is key, can reclaim rights once granted to publishers after waiting a statutory set period of time. According to the termination notice, Marvel would have to give up Ditko's rights to its iconic iconic character in June 2023. The heirs are being represented by Mark Toberoff, who once famously represented Superman creators Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster, 
in an unsuccessful termination attempt against DC, who is represented by Dan Petricelli, who so happens to be representing Disney now. Weird. Huh. What do you know? They got the guy who successfully did this before to do it again. What do you know? It's like a rematch battle in boxing. It is. A little bit. Um, If the characters are deemed to be works made for hire, then the publisher would be deemed the statutory author, meaning the heirs would unfortunately lose their case. So this is kind of it's un- it's an interesting story because of just how successful these characters are for Disney and how much of a risk it would take if they did possibly lose this. But also, there's precedent in the story itself. It even says there's precedent where they tried this with Superman and it didn't fly. But also, yeah, no, yeah, fun, no pun intended. But there's also a bigger, grander reading of this, which is this is yet again. Disney trying to fight against copyright, which is something they've been doing pretty much since their existence. Yes, but this isn't necessarily copyright itself, right. but more ownership. Um, yeah. Because with Marvel characters being made under the Marvel banner, assumption being that when these artists and storyboard artists and comic book artists are hired, there is a clause in their contract that says, any character you make uh, while working at Marvel mm-hmm. is the property of Marvel. Yeah. Similar clauses are in your contract, in my contract, in a standard business clause right. that any proprietor, anything that you create while at work can be sued <laughs> for part ownership because it was created yes. during work hours or you were paid for that work. Many people may remember this being an important plot point in the film The Social Network. <laughs> Many people be also be familiar <laughs> that this is an important plot point in Silicon Valley. Yes, also true. Um, so yeah, uh, you're right. Um, but ultimately, we can already see how this ends. Disney is a powerful company. These comic creators have often been screwed over for similar things. And the fact that we have a case that has set up precedent means that this is a very steep uphill battle for these heirs. And yeah, that's unfortunate because again, looking at this in a big picture way, this is Disney yet again skirting laws that should protect companies from owning and exploiting characters for forever, essentially. So we should be upset about this, but what's happened, but what we've seen, the story is proved and what stories like this over the last decade have proved over and over again is that this era of fandom has created this strange allegiance that fans have to these mega corporations where they like the product so much that they're willing to argue on behalf of these million billion dollar companies to say, well, I want Disney to keep the rights to these characters because I like these movies that they make. When you would think on paper that they would be supportive of the people who originally created them or their families more so than the billion dollar corporations that's using them. But hey, it's 2021. Culture is, you know, you know, turned upside down in a way we didn't anticipate. And it is very strange that we do have people that are batting for Disney for this in this story. Also, it make this sense. copyright law doesn't necessarily, necessarily target 
comic book. It's meant for publishers, yeah. for books, meant for authors right. and their heirs. Yeah. Because comic books, as we've seen time and time again, get rebooted, get retold. Stories are never ending. Right. Current issues of Spider-Man, X-Men, all these comic books for Marvel are continuing ongoing stories. They just had the big epic Civil War II not too long ago. And then like the was it three years ago when they did Jane Foster Thor? <laughs> with Thor Disney Princess Thor. Right. And everyone was all up in arms about that. Like these are continuing characters. These are running characters. So to have an ish to have the license or copyright pulled from them seems odd when they're still in use. It's not finished works. It, but then again, mm-hmm. comic books is never finished works unless an author yeah. said so. And yeah, that, you're right. That's where this does get a little tricky, which is that I don't think that they had comic books and multi-million dollar franchises in mind when they wrote these rules. You're no, right. we're talking about not multi-franchises, multimedia. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. Um, and so, yeah, they probably didn't anticipate that that was going to be the case when they wrote these provisions. But still, you do wish, like, in an ideal world, you do wish that these heirs of these creators did get something out of this transaction. And unfortunately, they probably will not. So at the end of the day, it's it's a little bit disappointing. But you are right to point out that this is a pretty complicated, multifaceted issue. But hey, you know, at the end of the day, I think what's going to happen here is Disney's going to continue making these movies as long as they want because they had the cultural largesse and legal power to do it. It's not going to matter. This case is going to be a blip on the radar. Or will they be able to continue making these movies? That leads us right to our next story. (laughs) Well, yeah, I guess I meant like generally speaking... (laughs) But you're right, this next story uh, would, would put a wrench into that plan. As we introed to, uh, to you, uh, the audience, last week, Yatsi, aka I-A-T-S-E, that would be the union that represents the crews and grips and keys and camera yeah. and editors and Essentially the people lighting. Behind the, the camera. Below the line. Huh? Yeah, people, yeah, behind the camera, below the line, per se, that we used to refer to um, in television and film production. When you see a credit scroll by, all those names you don't recognize, <laughs> yeah, they're all Union. The best boy? He's probably yes. a Union. He is the best boy, after all. <laughs> I just love, I love talking about the best boy. Anyway, well, as we mentioned last week, they're about to vote. What are they voting about? here's the story. Members will be voting to authorize a strike against film and television productions on Friday. That's in two days, people. And now they have... Yes. And now they have the backing of the AFL-CIO Department for Professional Employees. Quote, We proudly stand in solidarity with our IATSE kin in their push for fair wages, benefits, and working conditions, said the DPE President Jennifer Dorning, Treasurer Everett Kelly, and Frederick Ingram, chairman of the DPE's general board, whose organization represents a coalition of 24 unions, including Yahtzee. 
Last week, SAG-AFTRA, the Directors Guild, the WGA East, and the International Brotherhood of Teamsters issued a joint statement of support for IATSE. If a strike happens, the potential production shutdown would most adversely impact the broadcast networks, whose new seasons just started, as they would run out of episodes within weeks. So, as we talked about last week, depending on how this vote goes, and it seems like all signs go to the support for the strike being unanimous, <laughs> when the strike, so I'm going to say, I'm going to lay my cards on the table right now, when this strike happens, um, yeah, you're going to see immediate change, because the, I think that you're going to see studios panic, especially these broadcast networks. There's going to be panic, because all of a sudden, they thought they had, you know, 13 to 24 episodes of something, all of a sudden, most of those go up in smoke and they have to renegotiate potentially, or they're going to have to figure out an alternative like option. It's going to be really wild to watch. But do note that this, the reason they're striking is not because of television and broadcast TV. No. That's the funny, or not the funny part, but that's it's the yeah. There's a certain part about this. Yeah, the TV broadcast TV is not why they're striking them. It's the new media, or what right. they called new media at the time, which mm-hmm. currently is now just media because, <laughs> as we saw three weeks ago with the Emmys, new media or streaming, yes, as it's more known now, swept the Emmys. Right. It's no longer new. It's just the established media. And yeah. they're not paying their fair share. Yeah. So, I mean, also, obviously, we don't need to say this. If you listen to 200 episodes, plus episodes of this podcast, you know where we stand. Of course, we're going to support the people who are striking in these unions because all they want is compensation for the work they do. All they want is better benefits. They want better control of when they can they take breaks hours yes hours so it makes sense why they want this and do something as dramatic as a strike to demand it because this is movement and unified collective action um is the only thing that these studios understand to actually make things change because otherwise they're going to take you know a few you know random complaints and just sleep on it because they don't care but collective action turns out to be a thing that works. We saw it work with the writer's strike decade plus, like a decade ago plus at yeah, this point. Seven. Yeah. So yeah. so it's we have proof, there's precedent that this is this is the kind of thing that actually makes movement. And it is, there's a lot of parallels you can draw from that strike to this one. In a similar way, writers realized back in the day that's like, okay, this is a new kind of thing that we had to deal with that we didn't think we'd have to deal with. We need to figure out this new strategy, a new strategy to get compensated for it. Same thing here. These guys are realizing that the pressures, the extra pressure of working in the streaming environments for these new new companies is just not what they signed up for. And they need to renegotiate. But that was also part of the deal that they made back when it was still considered new media. No one knew how to monetize streaming at the time that those networks gave them the movie deal yeah, and not the TV deal, not the <laughs> series deal, right? which obviously costs more money because it's a lot more man hours. It's a lot more hours put into an actual production. Yeah. So anyways, so, 
yeah, now yeah. they want them to actually pay the streaming rate. So yeah, long um, story short, from what I saw was like if your streaming service has twenty million plus subscribers, mm-hmm. then you pay the streaming rate. Okay, I believe that number is targeted specifically because Apple is currently under that number. Uh, Everyone I else see. is over it. Okay, all right. Hmm. But also, recently, like within the past three years at least, we've gotten hard data on streaming numbers and mm. subscriber numbers. So yes. it's more ammunition that they bring to the table. So yeah, long story short is we support the, the strike uh, that will likely happen. The vote will happen on Friday. We will talk about it next week. If it does go through, I'm sure by then we will also hear responses from studios about their plan to their reaction to it. So yeah, I'm sure we'll have a follow-up story next week talking about the the the, the, um, the results of whatever happens. But yeah, I will. I would put money on the fact there will be a strike. Um, and yeah, we'll have to just wait to see what happens. And hopefully the workers will get what they deserve. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on. You watched a couple of things on, uh, that are movie-like or movie-adjacent. They're both on Netflix, and they're not yeah. shows on Netflix. They're films. Yeah, they're, they're feature-length productions. Yeah. Uh, you can call them feature-length if one's less than an hour and the other's just over an hour. Well, no, then. I guess <laughs> these are not. Maybe we should have talked about these in television, but whatever. All right. It's too late. Let's do this, Let's do this now. Right, you watched well, two things on Netflix that are documentary-esque. Well, the first one kind of belongs in TV or in films because it talks about films. That's true. And the cliches of films. Yes. Uh, Attack of the Hollywood Cliché, hosted by Rob Lowe, parentheses. Mm, Well, okay. It can't all be hitters, winners. Uh, Okay, so what is this? Because when I I had not heard of this before I saw it on your doc today, and I was like, oh, that sounds kind of interesting. Although you kind of soured me with Rob Lowe. But okay, what is this? It's a new, well... (laughs) <laughs> it's new but it's all cliched so sure. it is film school crash course 101 in an hour about okay. everything that you see in film and why it's clip why it's considered a cliche and how it kind of became a cliche did they just did they just film a page off of tv tropes is that what's happening here? basically yeah okay. it's Fast-paced, rapid-fire. Each segment is maybe five uh-huh. minutes long, and they cram a mm. like nothing's longer than five minutes. So it's either like mm. two, two to five minutes per segment, mm. and it just rapid fires right at you. Okay. Everything from, uh, like the Wilhelm scream, <laughs> um, the like uh, sex, like what's considered sex on screen violence fight scenes the dramatic look the dramatic pause Mm -hmm. the uh, jump scare okay so my question for you then would be as someone who did go to film school and knows all this not even just from school but also just from cultural osmosis just from watching movies your entire life do you think this is worthwhile for people who already know all this shit or is this really meant for the absolute beginner who's somebody who's like maybe they've heard of a few of these but maybe some of these they haven't noticed and maybe this will be educational for them it's more so on the educational level of Mm -hmm. this is something that i've seen clearly in mediums all around like just being around medium of television and movies 
Mm-hmm. And now it's the trope of, oh, now I get why it's considered a cliche. Now I get why I see it everywhere. And I get why it's very iconic. And they also kind yeah. of go into, right in the middle of it, why some of those cliches probably shouldn't be around <laughs> anymore. Like okay. the white savior role or yeah. the mystic uh, colored person or the uh, like the gay person dying. Uh-huh. Like some of these roles, like cliches, should definitely be retired. Mm-hmm. It does go into it, but not so much in that it makes a fair statement, though. Yeah, and that's what I, that was kind of going to be my next question is you said this is one thing that's about an hour and change long. Do you think maybe this would be better off if this had been expanded into a series where they could have actually dug into some of these things instead of rapid firing them for five minutes early? Oh, you see? That's exactly why I played this. Because I thought it was yeah. going to be a series where right. it delved into a half hour to an hour of these Hollywood cliches. But it's not. Make, we'll make some cliche who started it, where it got perfected, and how it can be improved. Yeah. Or who's like build, built upon. Because that actually sounds interesting. And but what that's you're telling what I me. thought this was. Yeah, that's what you're, what, what you're telling me this actually is, is less interesting. Because if they don't have enough time to really talk about them, then you're better off just looking up this stuff for yourself. Correct. There's a lot better YouTube series that you can look up and watch, and they go more in-depth about why things are cliched or why you keep seeing the same kind of movie tropes over and over again. Yeah, that's disappointing, because I feel like conceptually there's an interesting hook there, but the execution, you, yeah, you do wish they had more time. Yeah, I wonder if this started out as a TV project, but then mm. they got bored <laughs> or they didn't have enough material to yeah. cover it. So they just crammed it all into an hour. I wonder. Rob Lowe only had so much time he could do voiceover. You know, they were just like, well, we don't want to use it for too long. <laughs> it's unfortunate because this does sound like a really great series. But yeah. if you want a better series on the movies, check out CNN's History of Cinema. Yeah. Well, then, and also, like you said, check out YouTube because there's probably people who have done the work on these cliches yep. on YouTube, made video essays for all of them. And there's probably some really good content to dig up there. So yeah, you're right. There's, you're, we're not at a, we're not like at a lack for information about these things. They're pretty well studied. This is just maybe a good intro to those things. And then you can dive into more like specific it's a crash stuff later. Course. It's your blanket yeah. 101. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Second thing, yes. um, second thing I watched. Um, did you end up watching this? I know we talked no. about it. No, I have not. Okay. I uh, so have heard some negative things. <laughs> this is the doc that came out yesterday ahead yes. of the court date of Britney Spears. Right. And Britney versus Spears. Yes, yeah, so this is the Netflix documentary. I say that specifically to differentiate it from the New York Times produced documentaries that have been airing on Hulu. And this FX. Is, but yeah, yes. this is the Netflix one. Yeah, this is the Netflix version of that. Britney versus Spears. I like it better if only when they go like a specific like 20 to 30 minutes into the conservatorship document. Okay. Outside of that specific 20 to 30 minutes, <laughs> this whole thing is a refresher course. I didn't need yeah. any of it. It was a waste. It didn't add any new information that, as you said, the New York Times uh, one 
did, which I think is actually done better than the yeah. Netflix one. But that specific like conservatorship docu- or like segment where they went line by line into it and how it, and break it down, that was the most interesting part about it. Outside of that, removed from here, you don't learn anything new. You still don't hear Britney's own voice in it. Well, that's not true. At the very end, it does have an audio recording from her courthouse. Mm. But the only reason the uh, New York Times one didn't have it is because that didn't happen yet. Yeah. So it is relatively new, but I was also expecting it to lead like right up to today court mm-hmm. appearance, which it didn't. Like it got to the end and then they realized that, oh, this is still happening. So we'll just throw text on screen for you to read mm-hmm. everything that happened within the last three, four months. One thing I do have to mention, though, is that there is, you mentioned that there's not a whole lot of new information in this. One exception to that, and I think the reason why they premiered it when they did, was the information about um, wiretapping in her home, about having like surveillance equipment being installed in her home, which was not something that was revealed to the public until this documentary was released. That actually came up in court today, um, just as an aside. So that is technically the new nugget of information that this thing has to offer and like i said probably why they timed the release like they did was so that way they could be like all right well you guys are going to find out when this comes public in the court um in like a couple days or so or a few days so like we might as well say it in this document in this documentary um it did actually come up apparently a lawyer did mention it uh whether that actually makes it worthwhile to sit through the entire documentary if you already know what's going on with this case, I doubt it. Is <laughs> I guess what I'm saying. It did delve more into Britney's personal relationships, mm-hmm. um, not only with Kevin Federline but also with the paparazzi. Yeah. So if you didn't know anything about that, it can be fascinating. Uh huh. But like I said, the actual new information may not be all there. Mileage may vary. Sure. Fair enough. Um, uh, worth a watch at at least a uh, speed and a half, because I think Netflix lets you do that. Yeah. <laughs> it does. Uh, and, of course, we wouldn't be an up-to-the-minute podcast if we didn't do this for you. We do have breaking news. Well, breaking news about from 30 minutes ago. Um, and no, this documentary is not responsible for this, is what I'll say, but... Um, it is official that Janie Spears has been removed from the conservatorship as of today, um, basically immediately. Um, So there's something that came out of this case, at least positive. He said he was stepping down and all that business. But what this does is it basically the court said like, cut off for real, you have to get out of here. Essentially, like we're not allowing you to, to be part of this anymore. So even if he wanted to try to uh, continue manipulating the case, he can't anymore, which is good. It's a win. So, yeah. so yeah, that is something that happened today. But, but as for the documentaries, I think yeah, you're better off probably with the with the New York Times ones. They seem to be a little bit more up to the minute and informed. I've not watched the second part that came out last week, um, but from what I understand, it's doing a better job at addressing this than the Netflix one does. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. They're yeah, out there. Else to say on that. yeah, they're out there if you want yeah, to like, know more uh, that you don't already know from other sources. So. It might mm-hmm. be a fascinating like look back 
like a couple of years down the line when <laughs> maybe like, yeah. it's actually free and like oh like retrospective yeah but until then it's kind of weird living in the moment when you're mm-hmm. not done with it doesn't feel super necessary until we feel like we get some closure with it right right all right any other movies before we move on um nope but i will be watching the many saints of newark mm-hmm. um on hbo max i'm not going to theater for that thing okay um i may be able to watch venom i'm not sure about that yet <laughs> i'll get back to that we'll see the chances are more like 60 40 no <laughs> but i'm not ruling it completely out fair enough and I watched nothing. So we can continue on to the television section of the show. And we always start the television section of the show with the sports corner. We start the sports corner this week with a sport that's wrapping up rapidly, which is baseball, of course. Sadly, it's coming to an end very soon here. But if you're a Giants or Dodgers fan, we have good news for you. Your teams have already clenched their playoff spots. And they've won over 100 games in the season. So congratulations to those two teams. So the teams that are playoff bound so far include the Tampa Bay Rays, the Chicago White Sox, the Milwaukee Brewers, the St. Louis Cardinals, the Houston Astros, the aforementioned Giants, and the aforementioned Dodgers, with just five more teams left to make the postseason. Those, of course, are your wildcard races. So we're still watching a few of those. But ultimately, you know if your team has a chance or if your team does not. And sorry, that's not five. That should be three. There's only oh, it should be three slots. Yeah, that does make a lot, a lot more sense numbers wise. <laughs> yeah, so, I was like going through the numbers. Like, wait, you said too many there. There's too many teams. Um, so yeah, regular season, of course, will end October third with a tiebreaker game to be played on October fourth, if necessary. So that's your playoff picture. Uh, we'll of course know more in the coming weeks about those straggler teams that will make it by the skin of their teeth. Um, and yeah. Uh, so yeah, watch your favorite team because they may not play in October. I mean, yeah. technically they will play in October. They will play October the first week of October. <laughs> the first weekend. But yeah, yeah uh, October postseason MLB is here. And just to give you a quick update on the home run leader count. Yes. There's a new leader. It's Shohei Otani. Hey! In third place with 45. <laughs> Sorry to fake you out there. But Vladimir Guerrero. Yeah. Second place with 46. And the Kansas City Royals outfielder Salvador Perez. Right. Is your current leader with 47. Yeah. So, oh, congratulations. Sorry, outfielder, catcher. My bad. Yeah. Congratulations for him to catch up uh, to the other big dogs and to make a big play. Um, no, I'm, yeah, I'm we'll pretty sure he's I... not being walked as much as like Shohei. <laughs> no. <laughs> see, that's the thing is that Shohei stopped. You know, one of the reasons why Shohei stopped hitting home runs is because nobody pitches to him over the plate anymore. They pitch around him because they don't want him to hit a home run. Or they throw two pitches. They're both <laughs> balls and they say, okay, we're just going to walk you now. Yeah. It's just like the they automatic mind. Or... Yeah. He's, he has so many walks for a reason, people, because mm-hmm. the pitchers are not pitching to him. They know better. Oh, they scared. Yeah, they're very terrified of him. Yep. Uh, um, Barry Bonds also had the most walks this season. He won the home yeah, run crown. Because of course he did. No <laughs> because if you have a one. reputation for annihilating baseballs, you're not going to get pitches that you can hit. 
that's just truth yep anyway let's move on to other sports though because other sports continue to happen the u.s won the Ryder cup which we talked about briefly last week yeah they did yeah they did (laughs) or eu (laughs) yes meanwhile if you're a football fan specifically a chicago bears fan you've been watching this story uh come along over the last few months well we may have had an ending for it the Bears have officially signed a purchase agreement for the Arlington International Racecourse property in suburban Arlington Heights, which means that they will be getting a new stadium, likely in the middle of the suburbs. Um, likely be built uh, by 2025-ish, yeah. depending on when they decide to actually break ground. But yeah, this does mean that the famed soldier field that the mm-hmm. Chicago Bears play in um, may not be no. around much longer. No. I mean, it will still be there. It's hard to like tear that something like that down <laughs> due to like monument status. Sure. But it will be used for now, historical other monuments. purposes. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, it's just going to be a venue now. Yeah, you can go to the swap like, meet. Uh, <laughs> I don't say Notre Dame decides to play there because they're across the river. Yeah. No, you're going to use a swap meet space, monster truck rally. You know, there'll be stuff. Event center. Well, it's a stadium down by the lake. Yeah. That's one of the things that made it like great is that the wind from the lake <laughs> would just blow insanely in that stadium. Yes. Speaking of insane winds, that's a perfect segue to our other football story this week which involves long flying footballs as a new record in the NFL has been, has been um, set by Justin Tucker as he now kicked the longest field goal in NFL history at 66 yards. Yeah, this was against Detroit um, Lions in Detroit. So this was a dome kick. Wow. Okay. I was wrong about the wind then. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm wrong about the wind. No way. AC was just blowing hard. <laughs> yeah, so, so the, the fan man was there and he just had pointed his fan a little bit different than he used to. Yep. Uh, yeah. 66 yards uh, breaks the previous record of 64 yards. Yeah. By none other than former Lions kicker Matt Prater. <laughs> oh, Prater gonna pray. Prater gonna pray. <laughs> well, Prater, Prater's no longer praying, but uh, this guy. Continued his legacy. Yes. Justin Tucker um, won it uh, with a 66-yard field goal. That's a long-ass field goal. uh, That 66 yards is more yards gained than the Chicago Bears this past weekend. (laughs) Wow. Burn. By about 19 yards. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, any other sports stories uh, before we move on here? In undefeated news, um, last week we talked about the Rams (laughs) playing the Bucks. Yes. I was lucky enough to actually attend said game hey. in Sophie Stadium. Sophie oh, so- Stadium. How's Sophie? Oh, how's she, how she doing? Great. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely billion dollar worth stadium and probably <laughs> the same kind of stadium that the Chicago Bears are going to want to build. It's a, I'm upset that Taylor didn't get to Christian it like we thought she was going to, though. I know. But, yeah. but yeah, funny thing about that stadium is that it's not level, it's actually hmm? dug down. So when you enter on ground level, ground level is actually the third floor. (laughs) You go underground. Yeah. 
which is terrible for cell phone reception. Oh, I bet. Yeah. But they had to do it in order to make the roof FAA approved and not put lights <laughs> on it. <laughs> It'd be too tall otherwise, right? Yes. That's funny. So, yeah, in order to make that airspace, they had yeah. to shrink a hole. the stadium. Well, so that stadium is very nice. It is definitely a cathedral to not just football, but engineering in general. Yeah. Highly recommend if you can afford to go. <laughs> it's worth the ticket. Yeah. Probably not the like 200, 300 level. No. But we were lucky to find a 300 level for like $200. Okay. All right. 50 Because when you said that, I imagined $500 tickets. So you were under there. That's not bad. Yeah. Um. Then again, like up, this was like, 254 Tom Brady game is only sure. game, his first and probably only game in LA. So probably the you picked the most expensive game probably for yes. a while. Yeah, and yeah. if I'm saying 250 is about the rice price point for the rice price experience it. The rice price. It's yeah, it's a really good stadium. <laughs> I'm marvelly floored by it. It's like one of those yeah. like eye opening kind of experiences. Yeah, I saw some of the pictures you posted. I like that wrap around Samsung screen. It's very impressive billion looking. dollars that they spent and I can right. see myself wanting to go to more games. It's that good of a stadium. Yeah, cool. Well, very very I mean, cool. More fortunately, it's not going to be as expensive cuz yeah. Tom Brady brings the money. But the reason I brought it up is not to brag that I went to SoFi Stadium, but also because they Rams they, won and yes, they remain they undefeated. Yeah. Unfortunately, it does also mean that they <laughs> have to face yet another undefeated team <laughs> of course. this week against the Arizona Cardinals, who are also three and zero. I mean, that's the thing. There's not that many football teams. They're all gonna have to face each other. Like, yeah, but to have them both be three and zero, yeah, uh, by week four, it's good. I mean, someone's gonna lose now, so but it's a good feeling. Undefeated team. It's a good feeling. I remember back. Hey, I remember way back when last last april when it when it was like we were like looking at uh may or whenever that was we were looking at like you know seven straight wins for the angels and we we're like this is gonna be a great season guys <laughs> how naive we were oh um, how my crowd enthused we were <laughs> so yeah don't get too excited but yeah i get it you're excited now but yes we'll see. excited now it's good to be excited um the other <laughs> three and out teams are the panthers and the um, Broncos okay. with a huge asterisk yes. because the Broncos are 3-0 against three teams that are combined 0-12. Mm. So who knows if they're actually good? Because <laughs> <laughs> they haven't faced actual competition. Yeah. I don't want to say like that. I don't want to like bash them, but when you're 0-12, <laughs> it's tough to just call you actual competition. <laughs> Burn. Well, don't count your chickens before they hatch, is what I'll say. We'll wait until the series continues. But in the meantime, let's get out of sports and talk about some television news. Our first story is not about unions, but instead about something else that makes the industry tick. Agencies. And there are becoming fewer and fewer of them as the days go by. An agreement has been made in the talent agency landscape with Creative Artists Agency, arguably the most famous, acquiring its smaller rival, ICM Partners, which shrinks the landscape from four agencies to only a big three, which includes CAA, William Morris Endeavor, and the United Talent Agency. This means that no corner of the internet entertainment industry is immune to consolidation, in case you were wondering. 
and may force smaller companies to seek their own acquisition or band together to compete with the big three. ICM was recently hobbled by the WGA mandate to cease packaging fees around series and movies sparing its clients. I believe we reported on that story. Yes, we did. As with any merger, they are, there are expected to be layoffs with other agencies ready to make offers to poach new talent available. So, you know, consolidation happens everywhere, as mm-hmm. the story mentioned. No big surprises here. But it is interesting to see uh, CAA, CAA, which is already arguably, like I said, the biggest, become even bigger and try to, as it tries to fight against William Morris Endeavor and the United Talent Agency for stake of all these important actors and actresses. Yep, this is so. number one, swallowing up number four, yeah. just to make this even bigger against number two and three. Um, this is conditionally approved to the, um, what, what's the board? FCC board? That makes sense. The government board. Um, monopolizing legislation if it's considered monopolizing yeah just to check just check it in but i don't see that actually happening i mean i don't see this getting struck down i think it's just the bigger getting bigger yeah and this is tricky to evaluate too from our perspectives because i'm not as familiar with how talent agencies work and affect i let's put it this way i haven't read that big ass caa book that the dude who wrote that ESPN book wrote yeah. because I'm intimidated by how big ass that thing is. <laughs> but someday maybe I will read that book. So I don't really know enough about talent agencies and how they tick to tell you whether or how I feel about this. It seems like still too foreign of a concept for me to really grasp how consolidation will change the landscape. So, right. My big thing about this is with what, what we talked about with ICM and WGA. Mm-hmm and packaging deals that this may lead to maybe more packaging deals because it's yeah. a bigger talent pool to grab from. Right. But uh, it'll, we'll, we'll have to see ultimately what the, the fallout from this choice is. Um, but until then, we can only speculate. Mostly not something for general public to worry about, no. more insider information. But sure. We kind of like, or at least I kind of like to share that information every now <laughs> oh, and then when it pops oh, up. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's interesting, especially in slow news weeks like this one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's move Definitely on. slow news week, especially with our next story. Yeah. Kind of a follow-up from last week. Yeah, it is a follow-up. I've even called it part two in my Chiron here. Um, Saturday Night Live, we talked about last week, a new season is about to start. We already had some uh, guests and musical guests lined up for the new season, but what we weren't sure about was the cast. Well, in a week's time, we have now found out about some move in, movement and moving and shaking in the cast lineup, but not what you would think. SNL has announced that Beck Bennett, who joined the show back in 2013, and Lauren Holt, who joined only a year ago in 2020, will not be returning for season 47 starting this weekend. There will be three new cast members, including Aristotle Atari, who has previously had a part in Silicon Valley, James Austin Johnson, who has had parts in Future Man, All Rise, and Tuca and Birdie, and Sarah Sherman, who had a part in the Eric Andre show, will be your new featured players, alongside the returning featured players, Andrew Dismukes and Punky Johnson. Also, Don Roy King, who has 11 enemies for directing the show, and a longtime director for the show, has announced his retirement and will be being replaced by Liz Patrick, who has previously directed The Ellen DeGeneres Show and Wild and Out for MTV. 
King is thought to have directed more hours of live U.S. television than anyone else, having previously directed CBS Evening News with Dan Rather, CBS Morning, and Good Morning America before taking over SNL back in 2006. Patrick will, uh, Liz Patrick, the new uh, replacement, will become only the fifth director in the series history, considering this is 47 years of television. That's really wild. Yeah, um, I guess about 10 years, 10 years is <laughs> yeah, the average. Yeah, you could average it out, yeah. Uh, the new season begins October 2nd with Owen Wilson and, mus- and musical guest Casey Musgraves. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, uh, looking forward to Casey Musgraves' performance, especially from the Starcrossed album. Yes. Uh, Owen Wilson getting all the wows from the audience. Yes. And I'll do the thing I always do, which is I'll watch the first episode of the season, and if it sucks, I'm done <laughs> for the rest of the season. Well, you do notice that uh, Colin Jost and Michael Che are still there. <sighs> yeah, I know. I realize that. I realize that. But so, so is A.D. Bryant. Yeah, and so is Keenan. Keenan yes. continuing extending the record of longest person on the show. Uh, I mean, longest tenured person on the show. Be specific there. Um, so that means that just it'll be more and more difficult every year. He extends the the record for anybody else to beat it. Yep. Uh, Kate McKinnon is also returning. Those were the yes. big three that everyone was on watch for. Yes. So as you texted me, Keenan watch continues. <laughs> yes, it does. Uh, it appears that uh, Lauren Michael, who's known for not letting people do other projects while they're on SNL, yeah. and maybe loosening that grip. Yeah, since Keenan does have his self-titled uh, sitcom now, which, mm-hmm. again, as we talked about last year on the show, is pretty good, and you should check it out if you have not watched it. It was Emmy-nominated. It was Emmy-nominated. Did not win, but Emmy-nominated. Yeah, uh, Lauren Michael is also executive producer on that show. Yes, yes. Because... So. He's yeah. basically Keenan's pal at this point. <laughs> well, also, also, I believe contract. I think it may be a contractual thing that he is involved in any SNL cast members' creative right. pursuits. That's why he does. He's producer on all those movie adaptations as well. I think it's contractual thing. But anyway, let's move on. There's some thoughts. There's some television that we watched. Yes, uh, television that we both watched. Yeah, at least one show that we both watched. Uh, you want to go in order here, or you want to just jump to there? Yeah, let's start with the Big Hitter, because uh, I really want to talk about it. Um, now it's time to say goodbye Yes. to one of our favorite shows. Yes. A media vote favorite that we talked about probably every year that we've done this show mm-hmm. um, has finally come to an end, and an end that we knew was coming, but has been complicated over the political scene over the last uh, couple of years. And kind of put a giant question mark about how they were going to wrap it up, the approach they would take, and whether or not it would be bittersweet or just like maybe the time was done. And of course, we're talking about Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the show that was originally a Fox show that survived cancellation, was revived on NBC for a couple of seasons. Um, And here finally had its series finale um, on a season that I felt like more or less sent it off in a good fashion. I felt coming out of the finale and coming out of this season satisfied with how it wrapped up. Uh, at the end of the previous season, it was the baby finale. Yes. Which more or less set up that the next season kind of had to be the season <laughs> finale. 
yeah, series. Otherwise, you get into more of the parenting right. adventures. Uh, one thing I did notice about this last season is that not a whole lot of actual detective and cop work. It was a lot more internal, in-house. Well, I think that they ended up doing a pretty good split, even split. I remember when we talked about the first two uh, episodes of the season it was a, a one few one. weeks ago. It was a one and one and that's ultimately what the whole season felt like to me is that they had probably real after the political events of last year they had probably had to have a lot of serious talks about how they were going to approach talking about police work on this show and i think where they landed was okay what is this show and i think they realized that there are kind of two versions of what it what it really is at its core one is the version of we talk about what it actually is like to be a police operation in the modern in modern society the wrinkles and all even before this became a political moment the show is already was you be used use its plots as a as a soapbox soapbox is kind of a negative term but you know what i mean as a as a place to talk about yeah as a platform to talk about issues that actually face you know about policing in america and then the other half of the show which is just throwing these characters into zany situations to watch them exist and be the characters. comedy. Yeah. And they found a balance here. So we knew that from the, from the jump this season that they were going to have to really tackle some serious issues. They wrote in that, of course, Rosa decided to leave the 9-9 because she disagreed with like, what policing means in, in a 2021 uh, frame of mind. Uh, so already from the jump, we knew the show is going to tackle this head first. They're not going to shy away from it. And they continued it throughout the season by introducing the uh, the character of this gruff um, uh, police chief. Is he like another chief? Is he like a rival chief or what? Kind union of, leader. Oh, he's the union leader. You're right. Um, to basically like have a character that to basically envelop the entire like policing issue and have everything kind of directed towards that character. So that way you can deflect it in a way from your main characters, but at the same time, not having your main characters wipe their hands completely clean of it. Um, it was actually really a, a neat move because it, it was allowed them for better or for worse, you could say, to add their cake and eat it too. It allowed them to have their police stories, but also have them be about the idea of policing. Uh, they and always also put a face and a single person to right. to an uh, antagonist rather than the, yeah. an idea. Right. And yes, and like I said, that cake and eat it too thing is, you know, is, is I think the best way to describe it because it does point out the possible negatives of doing it this way. The obvious negative here is that you're still at your core, a show about policing. And no matter how you slice it, you're going to have it look like that the show is making a stance that some of these cops are good and some of these cops are bad. Again, not a super realistic stance, but as a show that has to have the care all of like these police characters likable still, especially Captain Holt, who takes the brunt of being kind of like the person who has to have the most speeches here about like being a good cop is this, as opposed to being a bad cop is this. And it's unfortunate that we ended up here, but they had no other choice. They ha- in order for that character to remain likable, they have to have them basically take the, all of the load of 
some policing can be good and we need to work with the communities. And depending on where you land on this larger political discussion, that's either going to seem hackneyed or like and corny, which is kind of how it played to me, or it's going to be like, oh, actually, this is kind of inspiring. And I feel like most people are going to land on the hackneyed and corny, kind of no matter what you do, because that's just where we are as a society talking about policing right now. It's very divisive. And I think that there, but again, if you're writing a show and you want to make sure that these characters go down as likable, you don't have another option. You have to do it the way they did it. As we did report on, though, they did scrap their original plan for right. season eight and kind of had to start fresh. Yeah. So, you know what? I ended up, but I ended up feeling positive about it because what they also do is that they also managed to write in basically reasons for a reason, a con- very convincing few episode arc reason for your main character, Andy Sandberg's character, to also exit the force for unrelated reasons, or at least mostly unrelated reasons. There's like, there's hints there's the, in the, the one that gets the ball rolling. Yes. There's hints in the episode with, uh, um, with uh, Doug Judy and kind of his end of his story where there's like seeds kind of planted in his mind of like, maybe there is other things that this character can do. And so that's the seed that's planted to then only grow over the next, like the final couple episodes that really expose like, oh no, actually this is only one of the many reasons that Jake has to exit the force. It's like, this makes sense for him to do this as a character. And it also means that by the end of the finale, you get that feeling of the character we focused most on this entire series that we've watched transform, have an arc over the entire eight seasons of the show actually did grow there was actual personal growth here because this thing that he identified himself as as being a good detective as being a great cop he realized he didn't necessarily have to have that be his identity anymore and it really acts as a really impressive arc for a often zany sitcom to touch on i felt like it was a pretty good move so ultimately, I felt pretty positive about how it ended and how all the characters ended, even if it does have the baggage of, let's be real, it still is copaganda. It still is a show that's basically extolling that the virtue of good cops and what good cops can do for their community and about how these bad cops are, have, like, are influencing like, their, like, these, these good cops to do bad things. Again, not as not necessarily a very realistic depiction, but they were cornered and they had basically no other option to write that plot into the show. So it's it has its baggage. And the last thing I'll say about it is having uh, having Chelsea Peretti's character come back for the finale reminded me of the gaping hole in this show after she had left because there's so much energy and so much vibrancy to that character. It was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Like, all this wave of, like, came back on me. It's like, oh, that's right. This show was great. <laughs> like, like even better when she, she was there because of how much of a character she was. And to have her there for at least one last episode was a nice reminder of when the show was really at its peak. Uh, but, yeah, overall, came out pretty satisfied with where the characters landed. But, yeah, it just, it's unfortunate that, and we knew this was going to happen, that it has so much baggage with being a show about cops. Right, but I do think that they did stick the landing. That final episode was nothing but callbacks yes. and reference and yes. I don't want to say fan service, but it, it was. It was, it was. But like in like the best way possible. Everything yeah. had a purpose. It wasn't 
pulling it out of left field just to make a joke or make the reference. You're right. Like as finales go, it was a smart construct, smartly constructed finale. They took the fan favorite construction, which is the heist episodes, mm-hmm. and basically made it a self-referential heist from the stop from the start. And that's really smart because it works to the writer's strengths. And it makes sense because these are probably the episodes the writers enjoyed writing the most. And so it was like the show firing on all cylinders for sure. Yeah. Um if even at the end it did the very sitcom-y, non, not real life believable thing of we'll all still be friends after we leave. Right. Yeah, but you have to do it that way. It's the rules. Yeah, I know. I mean, I didn't like it when Superstore did it. <laughs> I don't really like it when Brooklyn Nine-Nine did it. Sure. But it's... Eh. It's television. It's television. Sliding, yeah. I guess. Right. So yeah, not perfect, but I think that it did what it had to do. And it just knew. It was a show that knew that it had to end before it got too complicated, (laughs) before the narrative took over. And I think that ultimately it does not quite escape the narrative at the end of the tunnel, but it does the best with the cards it was dealt, I think. Now, how does it compare to the other Dan Gore shows? (laughs) Overall, like as a package, like I said, I think that it had its peak, I think, in the first few seasons, mm-hmm. just like a lot of his other shows do. <laughs> um, but ultimately, I think history probably will be crueler to it than some of its uh, some of its um, uh, other uh, like some of the other shows under their under their belts just because of its setting. I think that this is a show that I think will likely be overlooked as we start talking about like the legacy of certain sitcoms of the 2010s, which is sad in a way, um, because I think it, when it was good, it had really great moments. But ultimately, I just think that it's a, one of those things that's going to be lost time because it was an artifact of its time. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a reason that The Good Place only went four seasons. Right. For that's other reasons. Good at. Three seasons, that's yeah. what he's good at short compact yeah. narratives yeah yeah so all right well here's to whatever's next right <laughs> yep. i mean it's not all bad and these characters are well while the characters are done the actors will continue to get work it's true do you think andre brower does drama again or do you think he's gonna continue doing comedy I wouldn't be surprised if he goes back to drama. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either. I had that thought after the finale because of like, he's so convincing in these serious scenes because he's such a good dramatic uh, uh, actor. I wonder if he wants that back. I wonder (laughs) if this is like sparked something again where it's like we're going to start seeing him in actual like dramas again. He'll speed into some procedural next season or something. Right. We'll see. But I thought it was uh, last thought about it. Real great move by the writers. to give Terry Crews' character the final goodbye with the 99 saying. Yeah, yeah. Especially since he, backstory on that, for those who don't know, he said, or they started doing those 99 cheers during production of the mm-hmm. first couple episodes as Terry Crews' way of motivating the cast. Yeah. And the writers liked it so much they wrote <laughs> it into the script. So to give yeah. him that final line is perfect on many levels yeah it makes it a very fitting end Mm -hmm. for sure yeah Yeah. what else did you watch there's new stuff 
Well, yes. when one show ends, another one begins. And we had the pilot last week. And fortunately, it is going to be on Wednesdays. So I'll be a week behind in, re- in talking about it. But I also won't talk about it until end of this season, possibly even end of the year, because this pilot is one of the best pilots I've seen in a long time. It got me hooked, maybe because it's only a half hour, but <laughs> also harkens back to kind of the good times that we kind of had with television. Oops. I think I have the wrong Chiron up. <laughs> uh, uh, I was looking at your Chiron, but <laughs> I'm talking about the Wonder Years. Thank you. 2021 version. Yes, I specifically have to differentiate. <laughs> okay. It's good. All right. It's good. It hits all the right notes that the original show that I grew well, I grew up on reruns on it. Right. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> but having that nostalgia factor of watching it and then watching this. It hits the right moments, especially for the right time that we are in in 2021. Yeah. It does that rare feat of being a near-perfect pilot. Not completely perfect, but really good to where it sets up all the characters, sets up the action, sets up the scene, sets up where you are in American history to the fact, to the point that if you coming at this from a young standpoint to an old standpoint, it crosses all barriers, all genres, all not genres, all generations. That's what I meant to say. All generations. It's mm-hmm. that good. Highly recommend everybody okay. watches the pilot. Um, do you think that so it's obviously trying to do a similar thing, at least structurally, to the original series, but do you think that it, if people go into this ex- who are fans of the original expecting it to be too super similar, uh, will they possibly be disappointed because it's not the same thing? Or... Well, it's set in the same era. Right. Like the exact same, uh, roughly the same years. I think this one begins in 1968, whereas Wonder Years was 1965, I believe. Mm. So four or five. But it's, it's the well, age-old tale of growing up when things are turning, not just for you as a person defining who you are, but mm-hmm. the world is changing, defining what it will become. You know, this is looking back at history now, um, 60, not even 50, five, almost 60 years, kind of hindsight to it. So there's a lot that we can see now that wasn't all right back then. But it does address it through the narration of Don Cheadle, which is great casting. Whoever yeah. did that casting was great because Don Cheadle is very lovable and has that great voice of both endearing and heartwarming. And it's cast really, really well. You feel for these characters. You feel that struggle of growing up, especially in the 60s, in the South, as a Black family. It's really well done watch the pilot i highly recommend everybody at least watching the pilot mm-hmm. it's only half hour which is 22 minutes it can run fast but it packs a lot of information about these characters that you're just meeting for the first time and gives you what's essentially your bare bones about each person 
but those bones are a strong foundation. Yeah, just as Marin Morris has told us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I can't hear He's you. baffled by that joke. You're just frozen in place. And yeah, I mean, that is essentially the foundation of what a pilot should do. Mm-hmm. Set your housing, set your foundation, and build up from there. And it does a good job of setting that foundation. Yeah. I'm, it is, I've only seen one episode, but I'm excited to see where the series goes. And we cool. could talk about it in the uh, end of the year wrap up. Who can say? If it continues this strong of writing. That's good. Hard to say. Yeah. But for some reason, as I've talked about with Dr. Kamei Aloha, um, with Diary of Future President, that like adolescent teenage growing up years, for some reason I'm really into. I don't know why. <laughs> but I like hey, you like a good coming of age story. There's nothing it's wrong a good with that. Coming of age story. When it's written well, you can tell. So um, yeah, just real briefly, I just wanted to say. Like, I think it's really cool that this is good. That's good news because I feel like it's really easy to have the cynical take about rebooting a show like this. It's like really easy to just be like, oh, come on. Like, why are they rebooting the Wonder Years? Just do something new. So to hear that this is good use of that name and it's not just like derivative or unnecessary feeling, that it's telling a good story um, that seems worthwhile. um, That's great. I'm glad because... Hopefully that means that we'll use this name in the right way for the right reasons, as opposed to just being kind of a cash grab, which a lot of these reboots feel like. Right. I mean, you see a lot of memes about that, like, oh, if Wonder Years was today, it'd be a <laughs> place in the 90s. Yeah. Or something like that. So it's good that they kept it in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, as I said, that is such a turning point in American culture yeah all right now let's get into some streamings let's get into some streaming this is streaming and we're going to start um with netflix and the number one trending thing on netflix yes i don't know if you saw this was trending what is this because every time i see it on netflix i'm like splatoon (laughs) (laughs) not quite okay um this is the 2021 new version of Battle Royale. Ah, the, the Japanese... South Korean. Is it South Korean? Uh, Battle Royale? Uh, I think it's Japanese. Uh, because um, yes. I'm, I'm also thinking of Alice in Borderland, which is kind sure. of the same thing. Yes. And that is very Japanese. I mean, so much but yes, Battle Royale... On one square. Yeah, but specifically Battle Royale being the... I believe it was a novel first and then yes. adapted into a famous film. Basically yep. the thing that set off the, 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 yeah, the term that was used now in every medium, mostly, especially in video games. Uh, but yeah, basically a lot of people fight each other and one winner wins at the end. Highlander style. Yeah. Highlander still style. There can only be one. Yeah. Same, th- same concept here, except it takes, well, it takes people who are down on their luck, mm-hmm. people who are broke, people who have no, who feel like they have no way out financially, and stick them to a high stakes competition 
of playing children's games mm-hmm. where you win, move on to the next round. You lose, you die. Okay. Those are the stakes. All right. They're pretty high. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds great. I mean, it's basically <laughs> Saw on steroids. Uh-huh. <laughs> Except it's children's games. Like uh, red like, light, green light. I feel like I'm going to push oh, back nice. on this Scott, 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 uh, Saw on steroids thing a little bit because I feel like Saw is already a thing that makes you go like going into like put your hand into a toilet bowl full of syringes. I don't know how you can times 10 that. Like, <laughs> Oh, like oh, red light, green light. Green, <laughs> green light, you go. Red light, if you keep moving, you get shot. Oh, okay, all right. You just, yeah, you're dead. Okay. Um, tug of war. Why children's games? Why children's yeah, games? Yeah, what's the impetus for that? Oh, that's spoiler plot point. Ah, all right, fine. There's a reason there's specific children's games being played. Okay. Which will be revealed at the end. Now, there's not, there's not children participating, right? No, no, no. Like I said, these are unlike adult, Battle Royale. Unlike Battle Royale. These are adult <laughs> people being uh, sure. down on their luck. Okay. Financially broke, um, owing hundreds of thousands of won. Sure. Millions of won that they can't feasibly come out of. Yeah. I find this so. It's like, sma- it's like Smash TV. Yeah. A lot of people are comparing Squid Game <laughs> to Alice in Borderlands because Alice in mm-hmm. Borderlands was last year's thing. Now it's Squid Game, and people are comparing them, but they're not the same. Mm-hmm. Because with Alice in Borderland, even though I didn't talk about it on this podcast, I did end up watching it. I didn't quite like it because the rules were never clearly defined in Alice in Borderland. Mm-hmm. You can't tell me why they were there. You can't tell me what the end game is. It's technically an ongoing series with no clear winner. Squid Game, on the other hand, has <laughs> clearly defined rules, has a clear ending. Has a has everything that I didn't like about Alice in Borderland mm-hmm. fixed and done, in my opinion, correctly in terms of a narrative. Okay, is I this like game better? Okay, is this something that's a, a bunch of episodes that you can binge through, or is this going to be a weekly thing? Oh no, this is already done. This is right. uh, you can binge watch this. Preferred not. Okay. Or at least you shouldn't. It is uh, our lot. episodes, and it also sounds like a lot. So. Uh, I don't want to. Eight, nine episodes, I think, something like that. Okay. So it's a, it can feel like a lot, especially a lot of killing. But then again, you're only like, as with most of these kind of films and genres do, where there's a large number of people, you really only focus on about five to seven people. Sure, sure. Um, There's also a lot of B narratives and C narratives, which I will ding it on. Mm -hmm. Um, couple of those narratives while interesting don't end up intersecting with the A plot or like kind of tangentially only do intersect well don't no they tangentially parallel but never fully cross over to where it gives you more information about the world and what's going on but never really affects the A plot mm-hmm. and for that um I found those kind of side plots being overall meaningless because I didn't see a full payoff from it. Mm-hmm. That being said, if anyone in the U.S. is furiously taking notes and want to make this into a movie, <laughs> you can easily substitute debt with medical debt. 
yeah bills credit card debt i was thinking that when you were talking about it too i was like us to wipe away your debt and give you like like 50 million dollars if you win just sign right here (laughs) okay well so when you wrap that up i guess we'll have more to talk about oh no i did wrap this up oh you watched the entire thing okay no the entire thing all right it's a good series Right. Um, it does leave the door open for sequel, or not for sequel, for more seasons. Um, it's I don't know if I want to see more seasons because now that I know like the rules of what's behind it, how much sure. more can they reveal? But if it's done well, like Squid Game season one is done, I will definitely be back to watch a season two. All right, should it be announced? Okay, well, we'll look forward to that. In the meantime, you have one last show you want to talk about. It's a little bit of a cleanup after the Emmy season. Yeah. Uh, so I, I name dropped it last week, uh, yes. but I ended up finishing it. The comedy <laughs> Emmy award winning comedy Hacks. Well, to be fair, it didn't win the big award, but it did win writing. Writing. Yes. yes. Hacks. Which is where I would have given the award right. to because it is really, really well written. Okay. You remember when girls were winning all the writing awards? Yeah. Yeah, that's why. Okay. Or not that's why, but this but is basically similar kind of thing. Similar kind of concept here. It's fun. Okay. It's hilarious. Actually laugh out loud hilarious and not like Ted Lasso situational hilarious. Mm-hmm. It's actual jokes. It's actual comedy but then again it kind of has to be because it's based off a yes. comedian and a writer and i love that they didn't that they didn't waste the name because mm-hmm. you could name drop the term hacks for writers anywhere throughout the series but they use it in one spot and at the most crucial moment <laughs> and when you do something like that on purpose you know you're writing something very special yeah you're saving that silver bullet for when things are at their most high intention and they use, executed it perfectly. They could have used it in the first episode as oh, as a throwaway line, as the opening intro. They could have used it anywhere else, but they saved that silver bullet. That's why it won the writing award. It is really well written. Yeah, I can see why it also won the acting award, but then again, I also believe that's because Marvel's Miss Bales wasn't nominated. Yeah, right. Fair enough. But again, that is the thing that people do compare it to because it is female writers, female comedians. Right. Very easy to make that comparison to. Just different time period. One, different time periods. Two, different age and actresses. One is starting out in the career. Well, I guess now technically no longer starting out, but rather established. Whereas one is in kind of their twilight, the waning, Mm -hmm. waxing and waning of the careers. Okay, so you're usually a pretty good judge about what I might like and dislike. Christy has been watching this, and she's pretty convinced that I won't enjoy a lot of what this show does. Where do you feel about this? Because I've been thinking about giving it a shot. You can give it a shot, but there's a certain episode that I'm thinking of where you're just going to be like, nah, this isn't for me. I just don't know what you're doing here. Okay. (laughs) Maybe that's where she's coming from then. Maybe she got there. Yeah. Uh, it does a lot of writing right mm-hmm. and then it kind of 
has that one episode where everything kind of spirals out of control. Okay. Also, a lot of the jokes can, uh, from a certain point, be considered mean-spirited rather than, and like punching down rather than punching up. About 75 to 80% is punch up. But there's that 20% that does come around every now and then where you punch down. <laughs> and it's, right. it's kind of the same problem that girls had where eventually they ended up starting punching down a lot more often. Sure. So first yeah, season, I'd enough. say give it a, a try. It is only 10 episodes. Again, this is only a half hour show, so it can be binged quite easily. Um, might suggest taking it in two chunks, uh, five episodes and five episodes. But I can see why one writing. It's definitely really well written. You definitely enjoy the first episode. Watch that first episode and then see where you want to go from there. Fair enough. I'll, the journey overall is worth it. It's it just it hits those same stumbling blocks that typical HBO shows do of writing extra characters for no reason and giving extra characters too much screen time when you're trying to focus on your core three or five and not ten. Yeah, supporting cast. Well, I may or may not give that a shot, uh, depending on how much time I have. It's going to be a pretty wild October, so we'll see. But um, Yeah, no rush to watch it, but I do think you should at least watch the first two to three episodes before um, the end of the year lists. Fair enough. You got time. I got time. I mean, clearly I had time. I didn't watch it until Annie said <laughs> to watch it. <laughs> right. All right, let's move on. Okay, let's move on. And of course, the next thing we always do is cancellations and renewals. What am I no longer watching? You're no, you're going to soon no longer be. Wow, I cannot talk. You will soon no longer be watching the Netflix show Dairy Girls, as it did get renewed for a third season, but it will be its final. TBS, meanwhile, is renewed full frontal with Samantha B for a seventh season. Just keeps on going. Turns out, politics, there's new material every year. HBO Max is bringing back the other two, which I believe was a salvaged Comedy Central project uh, for a third season. Netflix is bringing back another of their trending shows, Sex Education, for a fourth season. Meanwhile, similarly titled Sex Slash Life is also getting a second season on Netflix. And in case you're wondering where The Witcher and Friends were, they're getting a third season finally on Netflix. That is ahead of its second season debut. Yeah. And Disney Plus has renewed the Mysterious Benedict Society, too much to your chagrin, for a second oh. season. <laughs> oh, why? Oh. Yeah. I mean, FX... yeah, there are more stories to tell, but the right. culty cult show is back. <laughs> yes. Also, FXX will be bringing back Archer for a 13th season, but I believe I read somewhere that that's it. Uh, you don't have see, finale here. I did not see finale. I um, saw something that hinted at if not this, the one after will be it for Archer. Okay, uh, I am I also wrong. watching Archer as a show. Okay. 
but it's still Archer. There's nothing more oh, for that. Clearly, yeah. 12 seasons later, it's still Archer. It's what you think it is. Yep. It's the thing you think it is. And then we also have Law and Order. Yes, you heard that right. Law and Order, proper. not SVU. Proper. Law and Order proper. Yeah. Not since, not which, by the way, has not been on the air since 2009, which when it was canceled by NBC. Uh, 2010. Oh, well. Oh, so that 09, 09, 09 010, like that season. Yeah. Well, is bringing, being brought back to television on NBC and it will have a 21st season. Um, it's back, baby. Yep. Uh, no word if there's going to be a new returning cast member, so it's be a new cast. But yeah. what is Lobby Never Die? <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine that they probably get some new life in while they can. Um, but but hey, uh, it's cool to see it back because I saw a lot of people kind of talking about how like they they're happy that normal Law and Order is back because it's good to have some like I don't know normal crimes to mix in with all the sex crimes that happen on SPU because that can be overwhelming every week. And, right, and criminal so, intent. Yeah, and criminal intent. So yeah, it's like nice to have a little bit more variety uh, with just regular Law and Order, and we'll get that theme song back, and everybody loves that theme song. If you. If you weren't uh, sick of Chicago Wednesdays, get ready for Law and Order Tuesdays. <laughs> yeah, get ready. All right. And also, the real world homecoming will get a third season on Paramount Plus. So, yep. more reuniting of old real world casts is what I think that is. Uh, if, if you want to subscribe to Paramount Plus for it, Go right ahead. Go right ahead or get that seven-day trial. We know we did. Yeah, uh, real briefly, there's no real segment on this show to talk about it, but Christy and I watched all four excruciating hours of the Tony Awards on Sunday, uh, which were split into two on um, Paramount Plus and then on proper television. It just never ended. It just felt like we were watching it forever. For four hours? (laughs) Four hours. Like, I'm glad Broadway's back, but really, it's too much Broadway. (laughs) Anyway, let's move on to deaths. We do have a couple of deaths to talk about real quick. First up, Sue Thompson, age 96, a pop country singer, responsible for Sad Movies, Make Me Cry, and Norman. I like Norman. You know the song Norman? I do. Norman. We also had Tommy Kirk, age 79. Actor was in Old Yeller, The Shaggy Dog, and The Misadventures of Merlin Jones, among others. So this was the kid in Old Yeller uh, who had to grow up with Old Yeller and eventually had to take the dog out and back and put mm. him out Old Yeller style. You hate to see it. So yeah, um, 79. Um, done. Did not go out Old Yeller style. Anyway, that's it for deaths. And that means it's time to switch this over to you and we go to the flip side of the show, which is where we talk about music. And we always start music with the billboard and we start the billboard with the Hot 100. And once again, staying at the number one spot, stay the Kid Leroy and Justin Bieber, your number one song. 
meaning it beat out number two, Industry Baby by Lil Nas X and Jack Harlow. Also dropping uh, to number three, Way Too Sexy by Drake, <laughs> featuring Future and Young Thug. At number four, back at number four, Bad Habits by Ed Sheeran. And grounding at your top five, Fancy Like by Walker Hayes. Mm-hmm. As for your albums chart, your Billboard 200, staying at number one, Certified Lover Boy by Drake, yep. or CLB, as yeah, you know, the cool kids are calling it. <laughs> yes, the, all the cool kids. <laughs> uh, at number two, Montero by Lil Nas X. Indeed. Coming in at three, Sticker colon the third album by NCT 127. Yep. I'm guessing that's around, a K-pop like, band. I think they're a K-pop thing. Okay. Uh, at number four, Donda by Kanye West. And rounding out your top five, Sour by Olivia Rodrigo. Apologies to Casey Musgraves for not making the top five this week. Yeah, I mean, it's Drake. Everyone kind of figured it would be an uphill battle for her. I'm not super shocked. The fact that she was that close, though, is... is... Yeah. Uh, if you didn't like any of those albums, we are tired of Drake and Kanye West. We have new releases. <laughs> we do. Uh, we start with "In These Silent Days" by Brandy Carlisle. Yes, that Brandy Carlisle. That Brandy Carlisle. Uh, "Garden of Burning Apparition" by Full of Hell. <laughs> True Love by Hovdi. <laughs> Let Me Do One More by Illuminati Hotties. Hell yes. Love for Sale by Lady Gaga and Tony Bennett. Yes, that's another duet album by them. Boral Hygiene by Ministry. In Heaven by Strands of Oak. The Quest by Yes. Yes. That yes. 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 That yes. 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 And yes. lastly, yes. because they are still popping around and making music. Liberty or Liberté <laughs> by the Doobie Brothers. Yes. Yes. Those Doobie Brothers. Doobie Brothers. <laughs> Good week for surprising, surprising things. I am very surprised here, but not surprised is the first story because everyone saw <laughs> this coming. If you somehow missed this in your newsfeed or people talking about yes. it, we're here to tell you that the hammer finally came down it for sure the did. R. Kelly. Good thing. As he was found guilty of leading a decades-long scheme to recruit women and underage girls for sex in New York mm-hmm. on Monday with the jury declaring him guilty of all, that's right, all nine counts of the racketeering and sex trafficking charges against him. The jury, consisting of seven men and five women, convicted the singer of racketeering and eight violations of an anti-sex trafficking law mm-hmm. after nine hours of deliberation in federal court in Brooklyn after, after beginning its deliberations on Friday afternoon. R. Kelly faces the possibility of decades in prison to most likely life in prison. 
uh, an attorney for R. Kelly told CNN that they are considering filing an appeal and are disappointed in the verdict. Now, the actual sentencing is scheduled for May 4th of 2022, which is, what is that, five plus four, five plus three, eight months away now? Something like that. Yeah. So eight months until we get an actual sentencing. So this is not quite the close on it, but he's guilty. They found him guilty. He can finally stop singing about it and putting it in songs <laughs> about how guilty he is. Yes. So, And it means we won't be seeing his uh, uh, credited on any mainstream songs for a while either, probably. <laughs> Uh, unless you're Drake or Kanye yeah, West. you're the dude who worked with Drake. Um, yeah, this has been a long time coming. We've known he was a scumbag for a long ass time and to finally see him get his comeuppance is good because it probably feels great if you're one like those like those survivors that, you know, like these women and like these people who like were like affected by him directly. This is a win for them. This is a win for a lot of people. It's an important moment probably in their lives. Um, Because, yeah, it's rare that we in this society get to see somebody get, like, get served for some stuff for, like, heinous shit like this. So so we should be... We should be happy as if there being, you know, complications of baggage with the prison system. Yes, of course. But hey, you know, for every one story like this that we can point out and be like, actually, yeah, this one was deserved. It's good to feel. It's good to have that like moment where we can feel good about it. Yes. Legal and justice system win. <laughs> um, cheer for it because they only come around once in a blue moon. So I'm sorry, this means that you need to remove a, a remix to ignition from all of your party playlists. I'm sorry, that's just the rule now. That is the rule now. The rule now. Uh, R. Kelly must be retired, unless you're <laughs> making a parody of that song in which you're sending him to jail. Yeah, I guess, yeah. You, if somebody wants to write that, it's not us. If somebody else wants to write that, then go go for it. All power to you. Yep. Uh, instead of remixing the ignition, just call it uh, You're Going to Prison. <laughs> it almost fits. Like, there's almost, almost an assonance to that rhyme. Anyway. Anyways, I was going to go to our second story, but yes. I thought, never mind. <laughs> but um, and you'll get that because it is the 30th anniversary of Nirvana's Nevermind album, which was released last Friday. 30 years ago, last Friday. Yes, 30 years ago, last Friday. But it also means that just in time for the holiday season, uh, Gef, uh with Geffen and Um or UME. <laughs> rolling out a set of multi-format reissues of Nirvana's second album, containing a total of 94 audio and video tracks, with 70 of them previously unreleased. The releases, which will begin rolling out in November 12th, just in time for the holiday season, will range from super deluxe editions to standard digital and CDs, and single and single-disc vinyls with a bonus 7-inch disc in it. In all formats, Nevermind is newly remastered from the original half-inch stereo analog tape to high-resolution 192 kHz 24-bit. You know, like it was actually what that means. 
That wasn't even my editorial, but I 100% agree with it. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, this is typical for releases. Like I believe this. that's called high uh, high fidelity. Sure. At 192. Yes. I believe uh, uh, Apple Music with their new lossless things calls that high res lossless as opposed to just lossless. Right. Whatever. Proprietary. Yeah. I mean, I included the story not because it was super surprising. Of course, they're doing an anniversary re-release. Never mind. But I included it because it's a like nice reminder that like it's never been mind, thirty years. Thirty years old. Yeah. And like how and, old we are. And well, also like I'm a year removed from being as old as this record, more or less. Uh, well, you're actually closer. And yeah. so uh, yeah, it's it's weird to think about it uh, in that way that this is a thing that's most if it like existed most of our lifetimes. But the, it's, it's hard to state just how much of a sea change it was when it did come out and when Smells Like Teen Spirit dethroned whatever Michael Jackson's song off of Dangerous was number one that week. Um, it's just it goes to show ushered you. in the 90s grunge yeah. era. It was definitely important and it's kind of it just delivered the template we now refer to as alternative rock. It's very telling in 2021, both mainstream rock stations in LA are branded alternative. Even the world-famous K-Rock, as they want to remind you constantly, Mm -hmm. has branded themselves as an alternative station, which goes to show you how much of an impact over the last 30 years the word alternative has had on the rock industry. So, yeah. It was an important record. Important record. Um, I'm pretty sure you can get an original record of Nevermind out there still sealed for some $25,000 if you're willing to pay for it. Yeah. Wild. All right, do we do our other quickie real fast? We kind of already talked about one of them. Yeah, uh, two real quickies that happened today. Yeah. Uh, we already talked about one of them, and that is Britney Spears has been mm-hmm. officially removed from her conservatorship. Yes. Britney Spears' father has been removed from the conservatorship. But in other good news... Yes, in other good news, Blink-182 band member Mark Hoppus officially cancer-free. Yes. As of, like you said, about a half hour to an hour ago. Yeah, so he uh, he made a statement on Twitter, basically saying, uh, and Instagram presumably, saying that he's good. He's they said he's cancer free. The he does have to get checked every year or so. He was saying just to make sure, just be monitored, make sure everything's cool. But the fact that he came out of chemo looking spot free is a great sign, and it means that that it's one less you know burden on his back. The guy can continue living his life in the way that he is accustomed to. Sure. And I congratulations about it being colon cancer, correct? Yes, I believe so. Yes. It's a big sigh of relief, I'm sure, for him, people close to him, his family, his friends. I'm sure this is great news for everybody involved. Now, in those family and friends, do we want to include um, Tom DeLonge? I mean, we have to. I mean, they were friends for years. And also, it's a perfect segue into the record that we both listened to this week. Yes, Tom DeLonge's side project, now full-time project, I guess. Uh, I would say full-time, but it's definitely become a priority for him, for sure. Yes. Uh, Angels and Airways, as yes. we talked about last week, new album coming out, right. or that came out last Friday, called yes. Life Forms. So and you men- we both listened to it. Yeah, so you mentioned last week that this was a band that you liked in high school, that you were thinking about revisiting with the new release, but you weren't sure whether this was something you were going to tap into. Um, so I'm guessing by that, you had at least listened to their first record. How familiar are with their are you with their discography? Um, not a whole lot. Like I said, I've dabbled in and out as mm-hmm. albums come out. Yeah, 
it's probably the first time I listened to an actual full album since that first one. Mm-hmm. With that in mind, did they lose a step? Did anything change? Because it doesn't sound like it. Well, it very much harkens back to it. A lot of that galaxy forming 80 like techno hard beats to it. Okay. But the lyrics are great. I like listening to this thing. All right. Okay. Weird to say. Um, not as weird as you think, because here's my take. Um, so I was fairly familiar with the first two records because in high school, my best friend at the time was a huge Angels and Airways fan, just a massive fan. Like he and his friend like talked about them constantly. He was obsessed with it. They, of course, were Blink-182 fans that had followed Tom uh, with his side projects and kind of like and liked it for on its own on its own um, like merits. Um, Angels and Airways is a complicated band to talk about because I feel like when they debuted, Tom talked the band up so much that it felt like it was guaranteed to fail. Because if you have somebody who's going out there and saying, this is the best band ever and we created the best record that's ever existed and it's going to change rock music, you're guaranteeing yourself negative reviews. Because if it's anything less than the best thing you've ever heard, you're going to pan it. And that's exactly what happened. What happened? That first record was critically panned because a lot of people were like, Tom was saying this is going to be the best thing ever. And it's not, it's like, fine. It's like, it's an interesting, sometimes like sometimes interesting piece of rock music that like dabbles in some like electronic spacey sounds, but is it really the greatest thing in the world? No. But what it did do is it found its niche and it found diehard people who to this day think it's amazing. And it kind of created a cult around angels and airwaves that exists to today. It also, you know, of course, is dovetails directly into the career trajectory of Tom DeLonge, which has been complicated and long. The two things things important to mention that have happened to Tom DeLonge since he left Blink-182 are, one, he was struggling with addiction to painkillers around the time that he recorded that first Angels and Airways record. He eventually came clean and also came clean about that. And it kind of also explained the weird comments around that record's release that a lot of that exaggeration came out of a place of where he was high. (laughs) Let's be real. He was super high. Um, There was a documentary that they actually released called Start the Machine that coincides the kind of transition that the band was making between that first record and the second record that goes into that really in in depth. That's worth worth a look, worth a view if you care a lot about Tom DeLonge and want to hear his side of the story. Of course, the other half of that the more recent half of what happened since is, of course, the UFO UFOs. stuff. <laughs> is that Tom DeLonge is now less seen as a musician and more seen as a, not necessarily even a conspiracy theorist, more like a person who is working with the United States government on actual legitimate government projects trying to find out what UFOs, like, or the existence of aliens, something that he's been talking about, again, since the Blink-182 days. So it's interesting to kind of come out his like Angels and Airwaves as a band with both of those things in mind, because it has had a little bit of it ups and downs. Um, I recently looked back at their, in kind of anticipation of this, I was like, you know what? I never did check out the in-between records. Well, I'll put it this way. Don't bother. <laughs> those first two records, interesting. I think there's a lot of cool sounds that they play around with. After that, there's a big dip in quality. 
turns out that Tom and the band wanted to write basically one or two songs over and over and over again. And when they hit them, they just wanted to repeat that and repeat that into the dirt. So when I listened to this thing, I listened to it with trepidation. I was like, okay, is this just going to be, you know, seven more songs that are variations on stuff they've already done? And I happen, and I'm happy to report, it's not actually. I think this is probably their best record since the since their first. I uh, I, I agree with you. I did come like it was a circuitous road, but I did actually. I do agree with you. I think this is a fun listen. I think they figured out a really good balance for what they want to be as a band. They still have that spacey vibe, still experimenting with sounds. And for better or for worse, it's still Tom DeLonge writing a lot of these lyrics. So you are going to get a lot of the same kind of like, I'm going to talk about a woman that I like for, you know, three minutes. Um, It's like, you know, whatever. Like, I'm going to disagree with you on one point. I think the lyrics are the weakest part here. I've never thought that Tom's lyrics were good. I've always thought that all his songs kind of are about the same things over and over again. (laughs) Uh, Whether it's about like, this girl's so cool, she's cooler than me. Or alternatively, man, space is so wild. Like, man, there's all these, we're going to go on an adventure together, see all these stuff that we've never seen. He writes two songs. Let's be real. Those are the two songs he writes. Um, But I think this record is something that, that does something that a lot of Angels and Airwaves records don't do, even the first one. It's actually fun. They have fun with it. The tempo is constantly high. There's, ne- there's not really a point where it slows down. There's no like up its own ass instrumentals, which is something they started getting into in the second record. It felt like a revelation almost where it's like, oh, they figured out how to just make a rock record. Like they got, they simplified their sound in a way that I think is really accessible and radio friendly. I would not be surprised if this is the first time in a de- over a decade and a half that they get a radio hit here because i think that this is an album that could produce a radio hit now that's also potentially a bad thing because i think that diehard fans may be like man they're becoming imagine dragons and to an extent maybe they are kind of leaning that direction but i think that's fine i think it works for them to an extent that's not a bad thing i mean to a lot of people it's not a bad thing to me yes it is but (laughs) what i'm saying is that i think that they're taking a little bit of a risk of maybe alienating some of their deeper hardcore uh, fans by getting a little bit more mainstream and poppy. But I think as a band, it works for them because the one thing that Angels and Airways has fought since they were, since their inception was being too pretentious. And I think this is the first record that I'm, that I can safely say it's not that pretentious. It actually is what it is. It's a fun, like you said, eighties inspired synthy, uh that galaxy tone yeah what i'll say is it's less you two more the cure is where i feel like they've kind of landed yeah and that's good because it's a little bit more of a fun kind of sounding song sound than getting to arena rock with it which is something that they were very close to at doing before so yeah i think that if yeah i think you're right uh, like as someone who was this person who i'm describing a fan who maybe lapsed with them over the years, I'd say give it a try. If you've ever liked them, I think this is the best thing they've done in a while. And it does make me excited for the future of them. And it makes me happy that Tom DeLonge still got it. He can still write hooks. There was a period there where I was worried that he lost that ability because he was writing the same hook 17 times. 
one caveat there is one song that does sound like a hook that he's already written which is disappointing but the rest of the songs don't sound like that so i think that's okay well i'm sorry you had to go back into their discography to <laughs> travel through through that you know sounds like it came out good on the other side i want to do adequate research for the show i want to be you know i want to come in with good faith interpretations of these things even if i'm not too familiar with it so i did my i did my homework on this you did one. your homework <laughs> Also, shout out to my shout out to my friend Josh from high school. I hope you like this record because they made it for you. <laughs> anyway, just drop a link on their Facebook page. You yeah. might like this. <laughs> oh, I'm, no, I'm sure he knows because, like I said, he's been a diehard fan of this band. I'm sure he is. He listened to it as soon as he could. Um, so, right, but you also realize that he could have a kid of his own by then to introduce music like this to him. I don't. Think he's quite there. Um, I, I think could. <laughs> he is of that age. We are men of a certain age here. Stocked over my microphone. Anyway. <laughs> Anyways, let's round the corner here and get into video games. Let's and wrap start this video up. games with new releases. We sure do. Ooh, everything wanted to come out, didn't it? Yes. Welcome to video game season. Population video games. Okay, um, I got a lot of, well, so much to come out here. Let's just start. And I'll just simplify right things to you. When it comes out on everything, you can just say it's coming out on everything. And I think that's all we need to say. Yep, because FIFA 22, it's an EA project. So, you know, it's mm-hmm. coming out on everything. everything. One note about FIFA, though, the Switch version is referred to as FIFA Leg 22 Legacy. That's important because for the last few years, the Switch version of FIFA has been running on the previous year's engine with current rosters. All the rest, new. But the Switch version, just know that going in. Uh, We also have Phoenix Point Behemoth Edition for last-gen PS4 and Xbox One. Astria Descending for everything. If you got it, you can play it. Darksiders 3 comes to the Switch. And eFootball 2022. Yes. Available on everything. eFootball is the series that was previously known as Pro Evolution. It has been renamed and with a esports focus as eFootball. Yep. We also have Hot Wheels Unleashed for everything. It's a coming. Yep. Get your Hot Wheels done. Hot Wheels. Uh, Road Lords for the PC. Centipede colon recharged <laughs> comes out for everything. Also coming out for everything, Alan Week remastered, except for the Switch. <laughs> but you probably weren't going to play it on the Switch anyways. That's okay. Uh, we also have Insurgency colon Sandstorm. Okay, we did the bit. Yep, for PS4 and Xbox One. Hell Let Loose for the PS5 and Xbox Series X. Note about Hell Yes, Let note Loose. about that. Yes, I was going to say the same thing. If you're a PlayStation 5 owner, you get it for free. Yes. Well, you have to be a PlayStation Plus subscriber. Right. But why aren't you at this point? <laughs> uh, it is the uh, PlayStation uh, free game of, of month for October. I'll probably be checking this out because it's mm. one free. I feel like it's, I will be really interested to see what your take on that is, because I don't, 
envision you as somebody who will get really into a World War II tactical shooter, but hey, it's a shooter on PS5. I haven't played a shooter on PS5 yet. I'm still playing Bug Snacks. I'm enjoying it. Uh, we we also have Jet colon the Far Shore for the PS4, PS5, and PC. And the last two probably big releases, depending on who you are. Mm-hmm. Super Monkey Ball colon Banana Mania comes out on everything. But also coming out on everything, the stocking stuffer. I mean, Nickelodeon <laughs> All-Star Brawl. Yes. Um, if you're not picking this up, chances are your grandma's going to find it and say, hey, I like these cartoons. I remember my ki- my grandson, grandchild liking these cartoons. I'll buy this for them. Yeah, I'm really fascinated to see what the reception of that thing is because I feel like people who are like in the Smash community have been really playing this up, hoping that it's good. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, I would I would really funny if it's actually a piece of crap. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. I mean, yeah, it, we'll see how it compares not only to Super Smash Brothers, but also to PlayStation All-Stars. Because everyone yes. remembers that's still a thing, right? 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 <laughs> Just you. That was a thing that happened. All right, let's get into some video game news, or rather news, because there's one thing that dominated this past week. Yes. Nintendo Direct. We talked about yes. it. We alluded to it last week. It happened. It came. It was 40 minutes long. And it more or less delivered. Depends on where you landed on a couple of these. Yeah, we'll get I to mean, it. I think... It was a lot, and I think that it was they did the things they needed to do. Um, I, yeah, I mean, we'll go through it, but like, I feel like a lot of this was pretty good. Yep. Uh, it started with Monster Hunter Rise, colon, Sunbreak, the expansion, which is announced for next year, summer 2022. Yep. Uh, and then we got right into a new Mario Party game. Mario Party Superstars, which adds more classic N64 era boards, and we got a release date of that, 1029. Yes. That is your party game of the season. If you're going to have people around, and for some reason you didn't have Mario Party, or you already beat Mario Party and no one wants to play Mario Party, you can get Mario Party Superstars. Yay! Uh, we also had the announcement of Voice of Cards, colon, The Isle of Dragon Roars, which is a card battling game from Nier's Yoko Taro, also announced for an October release date of the 28th. Yep. Uh, when they said Yoko Taro for that one, I was like, oh, wait, that Yoko Taro? Turns yes, out, yes, that Yoko Taro. That Yoko Taro. Uh, there's also Disco Elysium, colon, The Final Cut, which is coming to Switch on October 12th. And the Hyrule Warriors colon Age of Calamity's final DLC will launch at the end of October, October 29th. And then it happened. It finally gave us Chocobo GP, a Grand Prix, which was announced coming next year for 2022. But Fantasy, Final Fantasy, Racing, Chocobo GP, yes, hyped for it, get hyped. 
in the classic tradition of chocobo racing yep um we will talk about this up this next week but the final dlc character for smash ultimate will be getting its own special announcement on tuesday october 5th so next Mm. week we'll have the final we'll talk about the final dlc character if you ask the internet and if you ask twitter it's going to be sore from kingdom hearts that's all i see whenever the nintendo treehouse things get announced where sora let it be sora can it be sora give me sora unless they go with like another crossover from another like high-ranking company like say master chief or from PlayStation, it's hard to say where they're going to land on this, but we'll know come Tuesday who it's going to be. So next week, we'll have the complete roster for Smash Brothers Ultimate. Yeah, the ultimate character of Smash Brothers Ultimate. Right. Um, uh, With that, I say it's going to be Crazy Hand because (laughs) he hasn't been a character yet. Yeah, maybe. Waluigi. Uh, uh, it's got to be... <laughs> I don't know, we're going to a whole like, treehouse to it, so it's got to be important. It's got to be impactful. Mm-hmm. Unless, you know, they pull the Nintendo, the Nintendo thing and says, but wait, we'll do more DLC. Please, continue oh. to buy our DLC they, packs. We want more money. They've made... They can't do that because they made such a big deal about this being it for Smash. Also, somebody pointed out that it makes sense for their typical trajectory because somebody was making the argument that, like, well, no, they have to end the support online support for Super Smash Brothers as intensive as it is, so that way Splatoon Three can come in and be their third game. It's like they were talking about like this idea of like Nintendo only has capacity to run three online games at once. <laughs> and I was like, that's fascinating. Okay. I like that theory. I might subscribe to that theory. Yeah, interesting theory. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we'll have that uh, announcement next week um, as the, uh, that, yeah, October 5th is next Tuesday. And we record yes. on Wednesdays. All right. Uh, other, well, a lot more news was announced, including Kirby and the Forgotten Land, which is Kirby's first, I want to say, 3D open world game. Yes. If not count Kirby Air Ride, which was technically a racing game, but also had an open world component in the city trial mode, then yeah. yes, this is his first 3D adventure. I cannot wait for this. All the footage that showed looked great. I am ready to be Kirby running around in a Mario Odyssey style world. I am ready for copy powers. Give me Kirby. I am ready for this. Please play this. Like, I can't believe 2021 Nintendo has been catering to me with a Metroid game that literally comes out in a week and a half. And now this. But I have to wait till next year for this, unfortunately. But I just can't believe it. I'm so happy. I want this game now. Well, it is coming out spring 2022. Yes. Watch anywhere between March, which I'm going to assume it's going to be March because that's it's March. also end of the fiscal year. I would bet March. But yeah, anywhere between March and May, if it wants to be delayed. But spring 2022 typically means March. 
but yeah, I will I will absolutely play this. I think it looks great. And also, weird post-apocalyptic mall or something. A lot of people made like Kirby and the Last of Us jokes, and you yes, know what? I'll I take it. Too. Um, also coming for eh, the nostalgia players. Yes. An Animal Crossing New Horizons update that will take place uh, in October and launch in November. It teases Brewster's Cafe. Yes, if you're a longtime Animal Crossing player, you'll know that one of the best parts of the 3DS game, New Leaf, was Brewster's Cafe. Brewster is this kind little cafe owner that you can go in and basically he trains you how to make coffee for your fellow um, animals, like for your animal neighbors. So an animal will come in and request, hey, you know what my coffee drink is, right? And you basically have to remember, okay, they like this milk and they like this many espresso shots and they like this on the side and you and if you get it wrong they'll be disappointed and if you get it right they get they might give you some present it's a lot a favorite thing of a lot of people that wasn't in new horizons at launch so a lot of people are very excited for the coffee shop to come back in in this update yay coffee yeah does this mean that you can make your a coffee house coffee like a coughing? Yes. Maybe. Coughing. <laughs> you can make whatever you want. You can design a sign and just put it put it nearby. Yeah. Coffee's awesome. coffee. coffee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we also had new content for Mario Golf Super Rush. Yeah. Hey, new courses. Yeah. Also, you can. Um, Koopa Troopa. Wait, yes. Koopa, yeah, Koopa Troopa. Koopa Troopa and Ninji. Yes. New playable character. Yes. Uh, we also had Disney's Magical World 2 Colon Enchanted Edition, which is an updated version of the 3DS game. Yeah. And then we had Star Wars. Well, don't Knights get too excited. Republic. Yeah, don't get too excited. You know how we talked about this last week? How mm-hmm. Star Wars Nights of the Old Republic was getting a remaster for the PS5? Yes. Yes. This is not that. Oh, no, I know. This is just, this is not the remake. This is the original. This is the, basically port. a cleaned up port of the original that's coming to a lot, every console pretty much, but it's also going to Switch. But if you hadn't played it, it's coming out November 11th yep. on the Switch. You can get it if you really want to spend the money for it, or you can wait. <laughs> or wait. <laughs> uh, there's also, they also announced Dying Light 2 a cloud version coming to Switch alongside Dying Light, which is not a cloud version <laughs> coming on October 19th. So yeah, they could get the first one running on a Switch, but they could not get the second one running on a Switch because that's a brand new game. And so yeah, it's getting a cloud version just like Control did. Yep, as so I was going to say, Control also got yeah. that cloud version. Yes. Uh, we also have Triangle Strategy launching on March 4th of 2022. And Castlevania Advanced uh, Collection announced for the Switch. As well as uh, Act Razor's Renaissance, which is an HD remake of the SNES game, announced and launched. Uh, Deltarune Chapter 2 announced uh, for the Switch. As well as new footage of Splatoon 3. 
That's all they did. They just announced new footage of Splatoon 3. Because that's not their new shooter franchise. And that was all that they announced in terms of games. Because these next two announcements have nothing to do with actual game, well, kind of actual games. But this is more service and more just Nintendo properties that are going to be uh, happening here. And what may be the, I don't know, if you want to call it the stupidest thing that they announced, <laughs> um, subscription plus? Yeah, okay. I think people are being a little harsh on this. I think everybody was like, as soon as they said, oh, a new tier that's going to be more expensive, everybody freaked out. Where I think that I was just like, yeah, of course, about it, was over the, well, two things. One, it's so cheap. It's $20 a year for the regular Nintendo Online. That's so much cheaper than any of their competitors. Two, they've also watched their competitors both raise their prices for their subscriptions over the last couple of years. Microsoft makes you pay $15 a month for uh, Game Pass Ultimate. Yes, that includes Game Pass. But what I'm saying is that they, Nintendo has watched the rest of the industry be like, actually, we know that these people can't, like the players will are willing to pay more for perceived benefits. But of course, this is where the disconnect happens with Nintendo fans. Is Nintendo fans don't realize that Nintendo thinks that their classic video games are benefits. <laughs> <laughs> So yes, now you can read the other half of this. Yep, and that includes uh, the Nintendo Switch Online getting a higher price tier, which will give you access to the thing everybody wanted. Well, <laughs> maybe not what everyone wanted, because there's some people who still want Game Boys yeah. games, but you can't run those. But N64 games and Genesis games, yeah, that's right, Nintendo and uh, Sega games, <laughs> alongside a wireless controller, which you can for each. purchase for each, whether it's a Genesis controller or a N64 controller. So yeah, I'm a little divided on this. Was I one of the people who was hoping this was Game Boy slash Game Boy Color? Absolutely, because there's some classics on there that a lot of people can't play anymore uh, because of the unavailability of Game Boy software. Um, but I do have a soft spot for the N64's library. The games they chose, though, not a whole lot of winners. You got the, the the most important, of course, which is you got Mario 64, you got Legend of Zelda, uh, Ocarina of Time. So a lot of people are going to be satisfied with that. But you also have Mario Kart 64, which I think a lot of people are going to have a hard time going back to. Uh, and you also have, like, Windback. <laughs> you have so, Mario Golf in there as well, I think. Mario Golf's in there as well. And, and, tennis uh, is in there. Mario Tennis, that's it. There's more to come, including, weirdly enough, Banjo-Kazooie, which means Rare was and Microsoft was willing to play Paul. Right, um, also a Pokemon Snap. The yeah, Pokemon Snap is on the way. So yeah, they're doing, like, they're getting a lot of the ones, and hopefully they'll add more as it goes on, just like they have with Super NES and NES. And the Genesis selections seem pretty good for people who like the Genesis games as well. But yeah, I think there's just going to be a lot of people who never get on board with this because it costs more. And to them, all I have to say is maybe evaluate your relationship with Nintendo and costs with other companies and costs. Because if you were giving, you know, Sony a pass, 
why is Nintendo any different here? What are they actually offering you? I mean, I don't know. I feel like it. Nintendo still ends up being cheaper no matter how you shake it. I mean, it is twenty bucks for a year. Plus what? Another ten. I would imagine this either goes up ten annual or maybe this is a ten dollars a month only. Right. I could imagine that as well. Yeah. But we'll see. I don't see myself paying for it only because I don't see myself playing these specific games. Yeah. But there is a niche tier out there who want access to it. I think I'll watch it. And if the, depending on what they add to the N64 library, I might opt out. Right. See, because I never, I don't have that nostalgia factor working for me because I never played yeah. N64. So that's I why definitely it's not do. grabbing me. I think that in a world where I didn't buy the uh, Mario uh, collection, I would have absolutely been excited about this because Mario 64 is one of my favorite games of all time. But because I did buy that, I already have a copy of Mario 64 on my Switch. It's funny you bring that up because that's why people are saying that it left store shelves. Right. Because they Nintendo knew this was coming. Knew that they were going to do something with Mario 64. Yep. Um, yeah, whether or not that's true or not, I think this is interesting. Is it necessary? No. Do I hope that maybe they do tie on Game Boy and Game Boy Color to this service? Absolutely, and they might. So Yeah. If they do uh, tie on Game Boy and Game Boy Advance to it, I mm. will definitely be paying for it. Game Boy Advance would be killer, but I don't know. I don't know. That's a lot more lucrative, and I don't know if they're going to do it. Uh, it is, um, but you would definitely have to get uh, Pokemon Company to play ball with it. Yeah, because if he doesn't have the Pokemon games, then what's the point? Tetris, um, but I don't know. You already have Tetris. You already have Tetris. Nine, Tetris the Nine, you're good. Yeah. So. All right, we gotta stop being around the bush here. We yes. said everything else that Nintendo announced. Yes. Except for the thing that probably should have been in the movie news, but I knew we were gonna talk about it down here. So. Yep. I like that error that you have here. Is that an error? Uh, the Illumination <laughs> Super Mario movie yes. has announced for a release date. Yes. December 21st. Holiday yes. season. 2022. Next year. Year from this. Next year, 2022. And we have a cast <laughs> announced. Yeah. Yep. Sure do. Yep. Uh, your Mario voice will not be Mario. Instead, it will be Chris Pratt. Yes, the Chris Pratt. Yep, the Chris Pratt of the movie world. <laughs> Mr. Evangelical himself, Chris this Pratt. is a choice. Um, I feel like the entire internet pretty much fell into lockstep with this one, where everybody's just like, why? He doesn't sound like what we know Mario sounds like. He's like, also, yes, with all the weirdness of the last few years with him has only gotten less and less like loved by the internet as we've gone on and just like none of it really makes sense it's just like did they just think like oh illumination just looked at his career was like well he's 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 a tried and true guy for animation hits like he's your lego movie guy he was in a pixar movie recently let's just do chris pratt and everybody was like yeah let's just do chris pratt but it also led to the, by far, my favorite moment in this entire stream, which was, well, first of all, we didn't mention this, but the person making all these announcements was none other than Mario creator Shigeru Miyamoto. And the best part was when, Miss, when, when Mr. Miyamoto said that it's, Mario is going to be voiced by Chris Pratt, he said, 
He's so cool. As if he never heard of him before. I just love the idea of Miyamoto being like, man, Chris Pratt's so cool. Like, what? How? <laughs> anyway. Anyways, yes. The internet had a collective groan <laughs> and collective bashing of Chris Pratt <sighs> being Mario. Right. But who knows? We're still well over a year out. Maybe we can get Sonic treatment here. <laughs> Maybe. You know what? This could be good. I'm not saying it could be bad. I'm just saying that, like, we don't know anything about the actual quality of this movie because we haven't seen any footage of it. And all we know is Chris Pratt is your star. I think that's where it's disappointing. Now, the rest of this cast, which you can now get into, is where the fever dream continues. Right. Um, last of note, though, um, the memes of Chris Pratt in Jurassic Park yes. have been floating around of your first look of Mario and Yoshi's everywhere. <laughs> yes, it's been pretty good. It's been pretty good. Uh, but yeah, the rest of your cast includes... Queen's Gambit winner Anya Taylor-Joy <laughs> as Princess Peach. Yep. Staring intently at a chessboard. <laughs> uh, we also have the cartoon incarnate Charlie Day yes. as Luigi. Uh, pointing intently at a, um, a board full of red, red, red yarn. Yep. Trying to figure out and make sense of this casting. Yeah. Uh, but there's also the internet favorite casting of Jack Black as Bowser. Honestly, this is the one time in this cast where I'm like, yes, that's a good call. Yep. That, that would make sense. I'll take Jack Black, Bowser. Yep, that one can stay. Everyone else? Mm. Uh, mileage may vary. <laughs> Especially with King and Michael Key. <laughs> yes. Of Key and Peele. Yeah. Key. Sure. As Toad? Yeah, why not? Can, now, here's my question. Does he just do the Keegan-Michael Key voice, or does he do the Toad voice? You know what I'm talking about. The Toad voice. You kind of needed him to do the Toad voice, right? I <laughs> Toad voice! That. Can only do it for so long. Or maybe that's just like when he gets his like high-pitched voice and like gets excited. That's the one, that's the take that they use. <laughs> and it rounds out. You think that's it, right? That's all the cast no. that is in the Mushroom Kingdom? Oh, but no. Because they're kind of expecting this to also be an extended universe by having Donkey Kong in it, voiced by Pumbaa? <laughs> yeah. Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong. Yeah. I mean, you get the deep voice in it, I guess. So, sure. But, like I I mean, I make the Puba reference on purpose because when the Lion King cast was announced, everyone was like, yes, that's on point. I can see it. Perfect. This, maybe not so much. Interesting to see. It'll be interesting to, when articles come out about it, if this is more Nintendo's casting choice. But I want to say it's more Illumination casting choice, whereas Nintendo is script-focused rather than casting focus because Elimination is the one who wants to bring the dollars in and sometimes casting will just do that for you. You fall back on the names rather than the acting or the person. 
But I mean, like we said, we have until yeah, 2022 to figure that out. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, overall, a lot of good stuff from Nintendo. Um, I think the thing coming up soon yeah. will be the uh, Smash Brothers final character reveal on the 5th. We'll have news on that next week. But overall, I think a solid Nintendo showing. I was impressed. I liked what I saw here. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um so that's it for video game news then, because it pretty much ate up everything. Do we have thoughts? Or do we have thoughts? <laughs> we want to push thoughts? Um, yeah, I was actually thinking about doing that. Like, let's just wrap this up because it's it's actually gives you says you have red bars. I do not. What? Oh, I lost you. Oh, it says I'm connected. It says I'm good. Uh, but yeah. It's weird because, um, yeah, like... I'm... Maybe we'll figure this out next week. We won't have an issue with red bars. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll I have thoughts know. on Psychonauts 2 and Skatebird next week. Uh, but for now, that'll do it for us here as we wrap it up. Yeah, I'll try to wrap it up as long as my computer will let me. Uh, thanks for watching this week's edition of the Media Boat Podcast. We'll be back week for another episode with all the news and thoughts that we fit to record. You can watch it in video form and page. Like, subscribe, comment, whatever you deem necessary, like Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Spotify, anywhere you listen to podcasts, just search Media Boat Podcast and you'll find our show. You can also find us on social media networks such as Twitter, where we're at Media Boat Cast, Facebook, where you, if you search Media Boat Podcast, you can find our page. And if you have comments, questions, anything about the show that you need to know, like to know, or want to ask us, you can send those on to mediaboatpodcast at gmail.com. I think those are the, the ones we'll go with this week. Please tune in next week for episode 300 of the Media Boat Podcast, where we'll hopefully have a much more stable connection and we'll have no um, weirdness for you uh, there. But we'll have to wait until next week to see if that's yep, the case. That's next week's problems because we're done yes. here with this one. Bye bye, mm. 200. We'll. See you in our rear view. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with more thoughts, more news, and more fun shenanigans happening our way. Okay, yeah. bye. All right, bye. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Media Boat Podcast. Today is September the 29th, 